but the whole team basically you know stayed together i think if we look at the svb uk company that was acquired by hsbc you know we've had very little employee churn overall which is fantastic and you know i think that's a testament to the leadership the ability to retain the employees and also you know the customer base i think hsbc was able to bring you know stability to our customers in a, a very short order which was fantastic and that was kind of the, the number one priority there Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Okay, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show. I'm your host, uh, Alex Thuma, CEO and founder of SaaStock. Uh, delighted to be joined today by Jean-Laurent Pellissier, who is the Managing Director, Head of Enterprise Software at HSBC Innovation Bank. Welcome, Jean-Laurent. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on the podcast uh, for the first time. Uh, I think we met for the first time, actually, just uh, well at SaaS Stock in Dublin. And, and then I think more specifically, uh, we got to chat at SaaS Society, which is like the founder retreat for those founders over $5 million in revenue, which was at the wonderful Carton House. And Still yearning uh, That's right. uh, uh, back for, for those days. That was a, a, a great uh, great two days. One of my highlights of the uh, uh, the year for sure. Yeah, no, agreed. That was a fantastic event. So looking forward to the next one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We're looking at venues at the moment, and I, I love this part. It's, it's very exciting, uh, you, you know, seeing like where we're going to go. And unfortunately, I don't get to do the uh, the, the recce just to test whether it's uh, the right venue or not. But we do have a colleague that goes out there, so. Uh, uh, well, if they, need, if they need help, I'll, I'll, I'll join as well. So. I know I put I put my hand <laughs> in, but, uh, the, like um, it, it it doesn't work. But um, but anyway, Jean Laurent, uh, and, and where are you in the UK at the moment? You, you don't have the uh, the UK accent, but you're yeah, no, that's right. So I, um, French, French name, uh, but grew up in the US in California in Palo Alto, uh, and then I've been in the UK now for the last thirteen years, uh, working in the um, startup ecosystem, so based out of London. Uh, what what brought you to the UK? Just like career, um, yeah. Tell me. Yeah, so initially I came over um, to do a master's program for a year at the uh, LSE. So I did a master's in finance there. Uh, the plan was to go back to the US, and then um, ultimately, you know, one thing led to another, and ended up staying a lot longer than I thought I would. Uh, and now, 13 years in, I think I'm here for the long haul. So uh, just kind of circumstance. And so we we like to start with the the, the deep question. Uh, about who you are, um, so we will not buck the trend. So tell us, who is uh, Jean-Laurent Pellissier? Sure, yeah. I mean, so, so as you mentioned, I, um, I head up our enterprise software uh, banking division for um, HSBC Innovation Banking. And so what, what, what that means is that um, myself and my team, we look after uh, all the banking relationships that we have for uh, enterprise software companies that are VC-backed between Series A and IPO. So it's a pretty wide spectrum. Um, I would say that the bulk of our companies are probably Series A to C, but obviously our strategy is to work with companies um, through all life cycles. Uh, so you know, from seed all the way through to corporate. So we do have some, you know, uh, quite a number of large companies as well in the portfolio. Um, be- before that, uh, my background is mostly in, in lending, actually, to startup companies. Um, so I joined uh, Silicon Valley Bank at the time in the UK uh, about 11 years ago. Um, and at the beginning, I was kind of a generalist lender uh, looking at various verticals like software, hardware, consumer, did some life sciences as well, uh, joined a debt fund for a little while. Uh, I left SVB for a period of time as well to join a uh, venture capital fund, which was looking at uh, fintech investments, where I was covering California. 
and then um, came back to Silicon Valley Bank in 2018 to head up our late stage lending practice. Um, so again, focused on um, you know VC backed companies, uh, you know high growth, still loss making companies, but uh, some of the larger profiles, you know companies that historically would have been going public. Uh, you know, the trend was, you know, companies and still is companies staying private for longer. And so we were expanding our product set to try to support those companies from a lending perspective uh, later in their in their life stage. Uh, so did that for five years, grew that team. And then earlier this year, transitioned over to head up our um, software team. Outside of work, outside of banking, what do you like to do? And maybe what's a fun fact uh, about yourself? Yeah, so I mean, I I used to do a lot of rock climbing, uh, so that was my uh, that was my thing. And then uh, now I've got two young kids, uh, so my uh, ability to rock climb has diminished greatly. But I think they're at an age now where I can get them back into that. So um, I've been taking my kids over to a, a local climbing gym, and hopefully uh, I'll be able to do that to the same extent I was doing it a few years back. More about lack of time now. You've got kids, then the risk of it is it. Yeah, no, I think it's it's more the lack of time. I won't I won't be doing anything without any ropes or anything. So everything is pretty safe. Not not free climbing Yosemite or anything like that, and decided not to do that. Not, not, not yet, no. <laughs> not yet. I'm okay. a banker. I'm risk averse, you know. Okay. 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 All right. Uh, very good. Uh, and, and so HSBC uh, Innovation Banking is, is the, the the kind of the, the rebrand of SVB or, or HSBC. Uh, you know, they they acquired the the, the UK um, uh, and perhaps sort of European entity of, of SB, SVB. <laughs> How has that uh, transition been? Um, I guess for you, but you know, internally for for the business, the SVB is that you you know uh, remain within the business. Um, um, t- tell me a little bit about that. Well, actually, it's been um, it's been a pretty smooth journey in the sense that you know the acquisition had been extremely fast uh, for obvious reasons, but the whole team basically you know stayed together. I think if we look at the SVB UK uh, company that was acquired by HSBC, you know we've had very little employee churn overall, which is fantastic, and you know I think that's a testament to the leadership, um, you know, the ability to retain. Uh, the employees, uh, and also, you know, the customer base, I think we were able to bring, or HSBC was able to bring, you know, stability to, uh, to our customers in a you know, very short order, which was, um, which was fantastic. And that was the, kind of the, the number one priority there. Um, since then, obviously, you know, we've had to, to work on, you know, system changes and, and that kind of thing. So there was a period of time where, you know, we were working quite a bit internally in terms of making sure that Everything was kind of set for, uh, you know, going back out and, you know, growing the the portfolio again, the way that we were doing it before. But, um, you know, that was naturally going to happen through an acquisition. I think now we're in a position where, uh, you know, we're back to BAU. Um, we've got everything set up in a way uh, that will allow us to do the same business that we were doing before, uh, using the same strategy, the same go-to-market strategy, the same customer support strategy, um, which, you know, made us, you know, different. Uh, and allowed us to cater to the VC ecosystem. Um, so yeah, it's been you know it's been a busy year for sure. Uh, but I think you know if we look at the short to medium term, I think it's actually a net benefit to to our clients because we now have a way broader proposition for our customer base. You know, if you go back two years ago, um, you know SVB historically was a very US centric institution, which had then launched into the UK, um, and that was pretty much it from a you know international capability. I mean, we had obviously coverage in you know other parts in Europe. Uh, and some teams in, in uh, China, Canada, et cetera, but um, nowhere near what uh, HSBC had. And so I think now we have a much broader platform uh, that we can offer to our clients, whether that's you know international capabilities or even just um, you know local support for companies looking to expand somewhere new, um, which we didn't have before. 
Uh, we also have new divisions like, you know, we have a we have private banking everywhere, pretty much um, M&A advisory. Um, so anyway, the, the, the proposition is massive. Um, so I'm really looking forward to you know, how we can leverage that to further support the customers that we were working with and that we want to work with. This year has um, been a very difficult year, I think, for all startups. And, you, you know, SaaS has probably seen maybe the first recession, you, you know, I would say, and, and certainly in the lifetime of SaaS stock, SaaS stock's eight years old, right? I think it's always been uh, boom times, you, you know, uh, up until uh, really uh, uh, this year. What, what are the, the, the major factors that are driving that? Um, uh, you know, how do you view this? You, you know, are we in a, uh, well, I feel like we're in a recession, but what, what, what are your viewpoints on that? And, you, you know, how long is this going to last? Yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, the key question here, right? But I think ultimately that the major, the major shift is the fact that, you know, 2021, early 22, availability capital was incredibly high, you know, higher than it's ever been before, uh, driven by, you know, a lot of new market insurance, a lot of hedge funds coming into the, the market for growth stage companies. Uh, and a lot of that has dried up to, to a large degree, right? Or at least, you know, people have kind of slowed uh, dramatically in, you know, late 22 and then 23, uh, you know, driven by inflation, you know, higher interest rates, et cetera. Um, so I think that's the, the, the major shift that we've seen. And I don't think that's, you know, a big surprise to anybody. Um, I think the, you know, go, going forward, um, I'm cautiously op- optimistic, right? I, th- I still think that there's uh, resilience in the market, right? I mean, I think, it's not like the dot-com period or whatnot, right? Where um, there wasn't a lot of substance behind some of the companies. I mean, here there's, there's still proper IP, proper companies, proper customers. Um, yes, the availability capital is is um, uh, you know more scarce, um, but there's there's still great founders, great teams, etc. And so um, I think you know the companies are able to to refocus on adapting and you know uh, having efficient growth. Uh, and trend to profitability, even if they don't necessarily get there, um, because they don't want to get there yet. I think being able to to go back to you know the key foundations of you know growing a SaaS company, which is having and tracking you know key metrics, um, and if you're able to achieve that and do it well, you know I think um, I'm pretty optimistic for uh, these companies doing well in 2024. And would you say that, I mean you mentioned their highly efficient growth, and um, you, you know we've heard that I think obviously a lot, uh, understandably so this year. Uh, sustainable growth, highly efficient growth. Is is this going to be the new normal? Um, I we, we are seeing, and I'm I'm seeing a few outlier deals, and certainly you know from a funding perspective, which are kind of really like eye popping. And I think even um, I think it was yesterday or the day before we saw a, a, a SaaS company that raised a Series A in in sort of like less than three months. It was like between three to six months with pot- potentially very low revenue, and you're like. Are we going back to you know slipping back to uh, you, you know the, the ways of before? I'm sure there were some reasons that I, I just don't know about as to why, why that uh, why that deal was done. But overall, um, your view on just like sustainable growth is is, is this just going to be like what what we're expecting and uh, you, you know for uh, well uh, for for the long while? I, I think so, right? I think um, I think the outlier was really 2020 to 2022, right? I think that was kind of the outlier period where there was so many macro factors with COVID and everything else that, that kicked in that changed really the um, uh, the availability capital uh, and how you know companies were uh, were being run, where they were really kind of growing for um, growth at all costs. Uh, and I think we kind of lost sight of some of the really key, uh, you know, the, the, the KPIs that, you know, were critical for the SaaS industry. And I think if you rewind, you have 
four years ago, I think generally the um, uh, the market was way more focused on these KPIs uh, and ensuring that companies had strong unique economics. Uh, they didn't necessarily need to be profitable, and I don't think you know profitability is necessarily um, you know needed because these companies need to grow. And the whole idea is you know to gain market share and create the new category leader. Um, but at least being able to do it in a way where you know the the model is proven. Um, and you can see that it's an efficient business and, you know, there's the capability of being safe, sustainable for the long term if needed. Um, I think that's, that was the case historically. I think that was a bit of a blip and I think we're kind of back to that now. Um, but I would say that, you know, the, the, the drop in availability capital has been, you know, remarkable. And so, uh, there's still a lot of dry capital around. And I think I, I would hope that over the next year, we're going to see some of that, um, you know, come back into the market, uh, given kind of the stability in the interest rates and inflation going back down a little bit. Um, there's a little bit less volatility in the market. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it's, we're, we're back to normal essentially. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the drop there. I think, um, I mean, I, think, I feel this was accurate. I saw some statistic around, it's been something like a 70% drop in terms of like, Companies that are being funded uh, in 2023 versus, uh, I think, you know, the 2022, which is significant, right? Um, a, a, a real shift there. And but uh, you, you know, at at the seed stage, at the early stage, you, you know, we're seeing deals get done, right? We're obviously seeing, uh, and uh, you know, SaaS stock brings, you know, all the VCs in SaaS, and you know, brings all the all the founders that are kind of raising. They're getting together. They're having the meetings. Doesn't necessarily obviously translate to to deals uh, getting done. But I, I am seeing seed stage deals, uh, deals getting done, but probably, you know, slightly fewer and maybe taking a little bit longer in, in some instances. Um, at Series A, there was a few deals getting done, but probably less so, you, you know, at, at B, C uh, and beyond, right? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just a factor of, you know, how, how that trickles through, right? I mean, the first, you know, early, like mid-22, I guess, the... Um, the area of the market that goes most impacted was, you know, the pre-IPO companies, right? Because the the public market got impacted, the exit prospects obviously closed. uh, And then that slowly trickles through. And I think, you know, seed and A is the most resilient part of the market just because it's so disconnected from having to rely on an exit event through an IPO. Uh, So those valuations are much more uh, resilient. More deals get done at that that level. Um, But as you go further up and up, I think that's where you're seeing things tightening. Um, But I'm hoping that'll that'll change over the next year or so. How, how can st- like startups, they need capital to, to survive, right? And obviously, ideally, um, well, I mean, it, it depends on who you speak to, but, you know, customer funded capital and, you know, is probably the, the, the best way, right? Um, but sometimes, and especially like SaaS companies, you know, as you reach towards uh, PMF, you, you know, it, it, it can't, um, it's not always easy. It's not smooth sailing. It's not a, up and to the right, and hence, uh, and also depending on the ambitions of the the company and the founders, then uh, you know if they want to grow a little bit faster, but sustainably, they they need to raise you, you know money uh, to help fund uh, you, you know their ambitions and, and growth. Um, but given the environment now, and also let's look to you, you know forward looking to to twenty twenty four. How can startups get access to funding? You know, what are the sources of of, of financing? In, you, you know, currently out there that you know beyond like i guess traditional venture um but including you know what what are the sources that uh, founders could be looking at if they need capital for their SaaS? yeah and no, i mean i think um in terms of equity is cheap i think you know companies end up being fully equity funded at least the, you know the ones where they can raise easily um it just tends to be easier for them to just take you know a large check at a high valuation 
and not have to worry too much about the structure, the you know, the capital structure essentially. You know, just talking, you know, from a lender's perspective, you know, those markets are more challenging for us, even though it's kind of boom time. You know, being able to to lend to these companies, you know, companies don't really want to spend the time on it because they've just got too much capital to start out with. So, you know, why would they spend the time to to work on a debt facility after they just spent time on a fundraising event? Uh, so I think in, in these scenarios, this is where kind of things kind of balance back out and people are much more cautious about, okay, well, you know, the dilution now is much more expensive, um, but, you know, there's, there's still lending appetite, definitely. Uh, so, you know, we're still very active on the lending side, um, probably, you know, looking at deals that we would have wanted to do probably back in 2021 that we just didn't have the opportunity to given the equity competition out there. Um, so, you know, I would encourage you know, founders and and boards, and I think they're already doing that, right? Because we're already seeing a lot of uh, a lot of inbound. But to consider, you know, other sources of capital like debt, um, and it comes in a lot of different flavors, right? I mean, one of the the most straightforward things is venture debt, which I think everybody kind of knows about. But you know, over the last kind of ten years, there's been other forms such as you know, recurring revenue facilities and uh, stuff that's more um, use case specific that's coming out. I would also say I think there's I was I was surprised actually by the fact that we haven't seen as much M&A this year as I would have imagined. If you'd asked me like 12 months ago, if we had the session, you know, December of 22, I would have said that 23, we would have seen a lot more M&A than we actually have. I think we've seen an uptick, especially at the, the lower end of companies not being able to raise um, and, you know, consolidation in the space. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And I think, um, you know, equity is one way of, of funding that. But actually, one of the things that we're seeing at the moment are, you know, companies looking for, uh, acquisition facilities um, where, you know, they might not have any specific targets in mind, but, you know, they know that they're going to be consolidating the market to some degree, or there's going to be some, you know, unique ad hoc opportunities coming up uh, and people are getting ready for that. So let's all dig into maybe venture debt uh, a little bit though, and, and um, maybe just explain a little bit more about what that is. And for for companies, like who is it, who is it for? Because I, I imagine if you're pre-seed, seed, my thoughts of uh, perhaps venture debt might not be you might not be ready for it but well when when are you ready you know what is it when are you ready for it why should you take it you know as an alternative to you know venture capital the way that we're structured and the reason why my team starts to work with companies at the series a level is that usually that's where um these other products become more relevant for companies so i would say that series a is kind of the point where venture debt becomes uh, much more, you know, widely implemented. Not to say that it wouldn't be done for a company that has, you know, a large seed round or whatnot, but that's much rarer. Um, I would say Series A is more kind of the the part where this, you know, becomes more of an attractive uh, option for for companies. Uh, and the way to look at it is that it's kind of a it's a complement to the equity round that that the companies raise is, instead of a substitution, right? So the idea is, you know, they raise from from their uh, their Series A investors. And they're just trying to kick out the runway as long as they can, so that you know it gives them more time to be opportunistic with the way that they're uh, spending the capital they have. Um, it could be that you know they want to aim for specific milestones before the next round of funding. Everything to basically try to optimize towards a higher valuation and a, a better situation when they go out to market and raise. So a lot of what we're seeing right now are you know companies that um, have ample runway, you know probably 12 to 24 months of runway, but they just want to have that extra buffer, extra cushion. So that they can really time the market, they can go out when they feel like they're ready and the market's ready, and they're not forced into a position where they have to fundraise. Um, and I think that's what everybody's trying to avoid is being forced to go out at a time that just doesn't make sense. Um, so 
you know, it's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at debt as a bridging kind of uh, solution. I think that's probably where it becomes a little bit more uh, challenging because uh, essentially the lender then takes equity risk. Um, it's more about, you know, the, the equity players and the debt um, provider working together to extend that runway uh, make sure that everybody's aligned uh, and take the company towards, uh, you know, the next round of fundraising, whatever they choose to, to go out for it. What about if you're a bootstrap company uh, then and you've got, uh, I don't know, uh, the similar Series A plus sort of like metrics and, uh, and revenue, is, is venture debt also an option? I mean, uh, so venture debt in the way that we define it, probably not because the, you know, the way that we define it is, um, you know, term loan with no financial confidence, right? So it's highly flexible, amortizing over time. And the, the risk that we're taking, especially at the early stages, is the um, obviously you know, the company's ability to perform, but also you know the company's ability to raise future funding. So if the company is bootstrapped, um, there, there's definitely you know debt solutions out there. I wouldn't necessarily call it venture debt, but um, you know maybe kind of growth growth capital of some kind. Uh, but it'll be much more structured. You know what's available there. Usually the lenders that that are active in that market will look at you know putting in financial confidence tied to uh, probably top line growth, maybe liquidity, maybe you know EBITDA. Um, so the the way the 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 debt looks is very different. I would say I don't know. I think it was twenty twenty two. Really, we kind of saw this uh, uh, birth of the revenue based financing. I think you know there are organisations that have been out there uh, for longer, but it's kind of it felt like a new entrant and and, and accelerated, and then all of a sudden you know there was all these RBF companies you know exhibiting uh, you, you know at SaaS stock. Um, what are your thoughts around sort of like RBF and where that is now? And is that something that HSBC, you, you know, has as like a, as a product and who is it for versus, you, you know, the other kind of lending forms? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, we definitely have a version of that. And I think, you know, we, we kind of started it, you know, probably 13 years ago in the sense that we were doing recurrent revenue facilities for, you know, early stage venture back companies. So essentially you're, you're lending a multiple of, you know, monthly recurrent revenue, um, and so it's kind of a, a revolver. So there's a, it's based on a, on a borrowing base. So it's not exactly like venture debt. Uh, it's shorter term in nature, right? Venture debt is usually kind of three to five years term. Uh, these revolvers are usually one to three year terms. Uh, so it's a little bit different. The use case is much more aimed towards, you know, working capital financing, um, you know, financing that, that marketing spend for that user acquisition, that company acquisition, client acquisition, uh, more so than, you know, being used more like venture debt or equity uh, in terms of, you know, geographical expansions or product expansion, et cetera. So I think the use case is a little different. Um, so I think we're, you know, we've been doing it. I think it just came up in different flavors over the last 24 months. Um, and I think a lot of the solutions are very short term. I'm, you know, I think they've got their place in the market. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it is short term. It can be quite expensive. Uh, it's you know, structured differently than, than what we do. I think we're very focused more on the recurrent revenue lines the way that we've been doing them um, as you know one pillar of what we can offer but we also have usually combinations of recurrent revenue lines and venture debt facilities to cover different use cases makes sense we're going to move quickly into the uh, the quick fire rounds here uh jean Laurent. so i want to know uh, what's the best advice that you've ever received yeah i mean i would say to keep learning and to not stagnate i think that's kind of the um the thing that I try to keep in mind all the time, right? Um, and by that, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're faced with a challenging situation, to view it as a learning opportunity as well, um, and not just, you know, be like, oh, I got to do this now, and you know, it's not really kind of what I want to do. I think everything that we face, whether it's uh, good or bad, but you know, 
the bad is actually where we learn probably the most uh, because you're faced with having to deal with situations and taking ownership of that uh, and working through that. And so I think where you stop learning and you feel like, you know, you're not really uh, gaining anything. I think that's where you need to start thinking about, you know, what else you should be doing, but um, to always put yourself in situations where you learn. And so if I look at, you know, my last, I guess, 10 years working, you know, with startup companies or 12 years now, um, I've been looking at making moves even just within SVB, right? To try to, or HWC Innovation Banking now, but uh, to try to challenge myself. And so I went from being a general sender, uh, then I went and um, headed up our, you know, credit execution team for life sciences, which is a very different sector. Then I went to debt funds, then I went to equity, then I came back and then I was leading our, you know, late stage lending practice. And then I decided to make a change to challenge myself again, to, you know, lead our relationship management team for enterprise software. So, you know, they're all kind of lateral changes, right? And most of them within the same institution, but always trying to find ways to uh, improve yourself um, and also making sure that, you know, you're using your strengths to add value to, you know, the companies or the clients that you work with. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I mean, I, I often say to, uh, you know, colleagues and uh, new employees at SaaStock, look, you know, if you come in here, give me the best two years that you can, you, you know, within this role um, and, you, that's all I can ask for. And then at that point, you know, if you move on somewhere else, whether it's within the business or, uh, you know, kind of elsewhere, I think it's probably the best for you, you know, for your career, but you don't want to be doing the same role, you know, for four or five years uh, and so on, because there, there will be that stagnation. You're not putting yourself in those positions. So, uh, you know, uh, definitely subscribe to that. That's one of the things that I really like about the institution that I work for. Right? I mean, Silicon Valley Bank and now, you know, HGBC Innovation Banking, it was such, it's such a fast growing company, right? When I started back in 2012, you know, we were 40 people. Uh, now we're, you know, roughly 700 people. And so it's completely changed. And so those opportunities are always there to move laterally and try different things. Um, so I, I've always found that, you know, fascinating just being in an environment. It's kind of like a startup environment to a large degree, right? Um, where you're seeing new challenges and new things that you need to kind of come to grips with. What one thing has moved the dial the most for you in your career? I think it has to do with, you know, Focusing on what you're doing. I, I think it sounds it sounds simple, um, but I think a, a lot of the people that I mentor, that I, I talk to, that are maybe earlier in their in their journey, they they always look at the next step instead of just really focusing on their current step and making sure that you know they're doing it to the fullest. Um, and so I think maybe this is another uh, answer to your first question, but um, I think ensuring that whatever role you're in or whatever that you're doing it, you do it to the best of your ability and that you're learning what you can from that situation and that, that role before looking really elsewhere. I think as long as you're doing extremely well at the role that you've been tasked with, that you know, you've, you've taken on, um, people will, will one, recognize that. And especially if you're also you know, building your relationships just more broadly. And naturally, you'll get new opportunities to do more exciting and different things uh, to leverage the stuff that you've learned and what you've been good at. Um, so I think you know, if I look back at all the jumps that I've made, uh, it's always been in a situation where I'm not really looking for it. It just kind of happens or, you know, it's, it's presented to me because, you know, I'm just focused on what I'm doing. Um, and it, it comes around that way. So, um, yeah, the advice that I always, you know, give maybe younger people is, um, to just make sure that they focus on their roles, uh, you know, build relationships in the market and, you know, within the organization that they work in, um, but don't, don't think too far ahead. Good advice. Um, what, what about, what's the hardest thing about working in banking? I think this, you know, the macro environment. I think it's um, things are always changing, right? Uh, and especially over the last, you know, three, three years, four years, um, the, the change has been 
incredible. Um, I think before that, you know, the 10 years prior, uh, since 0809, you know, there was a certain level of stability there. Um, and everything was kind of, you know, turning up to the right to a large degree. Um, but I think the last three years has been a bit of a roller coaster. And so, uh, you know, sticking to your guns in that kind of environment and making sure you stick to, uh, you know, your values, your push to the market, et cetera, when everything is so wild around you, you know, can be quite challenging. Um, and so, you know, people take different approaches. I think one thing that's, you know, allowed us to keep doing what we're doing and doing it well over so, such a long period of time within the um, uh, venture ecosystem is the fact that, you know, through these cycles and through these, this volatility in the market, we we stick to to our approach and to what we know works. Um, and that allows us to be a lot more consistent in market, but it, it's not necessarily always easy. Do you have a favorite uh, business book that you recommend for startups or one that you've read yourself uh, and, and, and why that one? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, it's kind of a dated one now, but uh, it's one that I was given by a mentor uh, years ago, which was the, the Lean Startup um, by Eric uh, Reese. I thought that was, you know, it, I think it's widely accepted now in, in the VC um, and startup landscape that, you know, it's um, kind of coined to the MVP kind of phrase and everything else, right? But um, I still think it's really interesting and uh, worth a read for everybody because ultimately it just describes how, uh, you know, you should really not focus on building something to perfection before you release it, um, but really kind of go out with, you know, an MVP uh, and then quickly re, you know, reiterate and iterate on that on that product by leveraging also what you're getting from your clients, not necessarily what they're telling you, but what you're seeing and, uh, you know, the, the user activity. Um, and so obviously that has got, you know, direct um, relevance for, for you know, enterprise SaaS companies, but uh, just even just more broadly, right? I think um, if I look at you know what we do uh, within the organization, there's a lot of value that we can provide to companies beyond just you know the the banking and the the, the offering, uh, and it's more about uh, what actually moves the needle. And so you know we all have these grand ideas about you know how we can support companies, but it's also about allocation of resources and time. Um, and so making sure that you know we test you know some ideas with certain clients. Uh, and we see, you know, is it actually valuable or not? And then we can actually, you know, tweak our approach. Um, you know, that's been, uh, that's been a key way that we operate. Uh, I, I know you've, uh, touched on this a little bit, uh, through the podcast, but, uh, I'll ask anyway. Um, so are, are things going to get better in, in 2024 and, uh, uh, and if so, why? So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think it's not going to be dramatically different, um, but I think you know we're seeing stability in interest rates. Uh, we're seeing inflation uh, going down. Obviously, growth is you know very slow. And actually, I think you know day or two ago uh, we saw you know contraction in the UK. Um, but I think that's expected, you know, given the rate at which interest rates are were increased. But I think that that level of stability, the fact that we no longer have these massive jumps in interest rates and inflation being sky high, uh, I think will give people more comfort that they can. Actually, you know, value companies, you know, public markets. I would, I would hope, would um, stabilize a bit as well and improve there. Um, there's still a lot of dry capital. You know, we're seeing, you know, a bunch of funds being raised over the last six months. Uh, there's a lot of funds that were raised before that. You know, that were sitting on a lot of, um, you know, dry powder. It's gonna, it's gonna be deployed. Uh, it's just a matter of time. I think, um, you know, everybody I speak to in, in the market, they're saying that you know, pipelines are picking up. They see more activity. Um, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily seeing that translate into deals being done so far, but I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see an uptick, you know, over the next kind of six to nine months. At the same time, though, you know, the, the other side of the coin is that I would expect we're going to 
we're going to see some more kind of distress situations as well, right? Um, a lot of the companies that did raise in 21, usually they raise with, you know, a runway of two to three years in mind. We're going to come to that. Uh, and some of those companies that were funded, you know, don't have the efficiency metrics needed to raise in this current environment. And so that's where we're probably going to see, you know, some some distress situations, which would probably lead to that minute I was referring to earlier. Yeah. Hop in was a, obviously a good example of, of that, or, or or bad, depending on how you phrase it. Um, well, Jean Laurent, uh, we've come to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, being a great guest. If people want to reach out to you online, connect, uh, ask any questions, um, what's the best way to do so? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the the best way. Uh, send me a message on there, um, or you know my email address, which uh, I don't know how we can share that easily because it's basically just my name uh, at hhpc.com. So that's probably the, the two best ways. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on the SaaS Revolution show today. Uh, good to see you again. Uh, wishing you a great uh, Christmas and, and New Year uh, and for uh, some great things in 2024 for yourself, HSBC, uh, and, uh, and the SaaS market uh, in general. That's great. No, thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world. Want exclusive SAS content and actionable insights to grow your SAS? Join our community of over 36,000 SAS founders at sasdoc.com.